Good morning and welcome to Sport and Life with Sam Kekovich and Leon Wigard. Sam, good morning to you. Good morning, Leon. How are you, mate? It's what a great day, eh? Well, it's even a better day for me because I think all of us here in Victoria have been in awe of this guy, Wally Lewis. Who, Isn't it uh, amazing for a guy that really, in a sport that's probably... Foreign sport for foreign us. Foreign for us, but the name is equal to the Barassis, the... The iconic names of Australian sport. Well, thanks to you, we have him online now. Wally, thanks very much for joining. It's a great thrill for us all. Yeah, thank you, boys. Good to join you two guys. Certainly uh, a lot more exciting than the weather here in Brisbane at the moment. Absolutely bucketing down in rain, so I'd, uh, I'd much rather be indoors talking to you two. Well, beautiful one day, Scheisenhausen the next. Well, <laughs> actually, that's a damn good thing it's raining now because I'm going up there next month, so let's hope it clears up. Wally, um, uh, rugby league, of course, these days in Melbourne is no stranger because we've had a very successful storm down here and um, talking about weather, uh, but storm have been incredible. I must say their reputation's been wonderful. Um, they, they seem to have managed things very well, apart from a little accounting problem they had. Um, <laughs> but, but it's been it's been a wonderful uh, franchise. Well, Danny. he knows a fair bit about that with the brown paper bags. Don't worry about that. <laughs> oh well, you know what they say about rugby league players—they're not the smartest blokes in the world. So we do have trouble counting on a number of occasions. So, particularly when it comes to exactly how much we're allowed to spend. Well, well, he got what got you into the. Uh, into rugby league in the first place? Uh, I was born into a, uh, in a sporting family. My dad, uh, Jim, uh, was a rugby league player. He played uh, first grade in Brisbane for South and West. And then he later went on to coach uh, first grade at the, uh, the Winter Manly Club. And my mum, uh, June, she was pretty good at sport. Uh, she played for Queensland in netball for a number of years and then went away and had five kids. Came back and uh, uh, once again uh, represented Queensland. My dad actually said that uh, 10 years netball and five kids just proved she was very good at handling balls all the way through her career. So uh, it, uh, it got through. She was a little embarrassed by that. But um, what, they, uh, what they did give me, mate, was um, just open uh, support whenever I was sort of involved or had an interest in, uh, in sport, whether it be footy or cricket, um, they used to drive enormous distances around and they were, they were just great support. Uh, gave me every opportunity and, uh, and Dad, I used, to, I used to be a pest for him every time he'd come home from work. Uh, you could see that the last thing he wanted to do was go out the backyard. He probably wanted to sit down, have rest, have a beer. Um, and I used to say to him, you know, come and come and teach me how to do this kick. Come and teach me how to uh, how to throw this pass. And um, I don't ever remember him saying no once. Um, so it was uh, it was great to have that sort of loyal support. But um, learning how to. Uh, um, how to do the, uh, the the things that I was doing wrong in the game, uh, learning how to correct them, and uh, it was uh, it was a, a real thrill for me to uh, to to be able to be taught uh, by somebody that knew what he was talking about right, uh, right from the first moment. Now, Wally, I just might bring to your attention: this is a family show, and if you could uh, just refrain from <laughs> your bio- keep your biological references to a minimum, if you can, please. Uh, That's for sure. And that's involves. But uh, Wally, uh, you were the king of uh, you are the king of Brisbane. We know that. Uh, acclaimed but in the early days Queensland wasn't the flavour of the month it was almost recognised you had to play in New South Wales to be recognised as a great but you never ever made that pilgrimage did you why no no I um, I, I probably thought that I, I was going to learn a little bit more had I uh, stayed in Brisbane um, um, 
there was always the support of, uh, of, of my father. But um, I can remember my dad saying to me at some stage, uh, mate, you know, you're going to get a lot more money if you, if you go to Sydney. Um, but Sydney's also got a bit of a problem down there is that they'll test you first up if you don't show that you've got it right from the from the opening moment, from the opening whistle, um, they'll basically uh, tip you out. Um, they won't want to know you again. He said um, sometimes it's what you learn in the game over the difficult stages of, uh, of the early days uh, that proves to be the biggest benefit for you of all. Um, and, uh, and I agreed with him. There were, you know, uh, I, I kind of learnt how to play footy. Um, I, when I went to high school, uh, I started playing rugby union um, there on Saturdays and league on Sundays and uh, got to, to be able to uh, to test uh, the skills of two different games um, and test them. And um, it was uh, it was a great learning curve, I think, um, uh, something that I, uh, I enjoyed doing. Um, but there was only ever going to be, quite honestly, one game that I played, and that was league. Um, and it was uh, Dad's insistence that, um, you know, it was all about... Uh, making sure that uh, that I, I tested everything. Um, if uh, if if I did something right in the game, that I don't talk about that at all. That uh, I talk about the things that I did wrong in the game. Um, and I think that was probably my biggest benefit. That um, we used to get there and he used to. Uh, pull out in those days it was the old VHS and there was one game on TV so I could only do uh, uh, you know tape the game that I played in once a week uh, and he used to, uh, to to point out the things that I did wrong um, and I'd go right through it and uh, try and make sure that uh, in the training for the next week or so that uh, it was all about perfecting uh, the skills that didn't look good um, a week before. I guess the birth of State of Origin was the uh, catalyst that really you know, enhanced the reputation of not only Wally Lewis, I mean to say there are other great blokes like Langer, Meninga, uh, Gene Miles, all those guys. Yep. But Wally, it was, uh, it was state of origin. I think it was the uh, the uh, baby child of McAuliffe, I think. Uh, McAuliffe drove it there, certainly in Queensland. I remember many a time yeah. I, was there, I was at Lang Park for the first one. And I think you captained it from 81 to 90. I think you captained about nine. I think you manned the match about eight times as well. But it was state of origin that really was the was the, the birth of Queensland rugby league. Yeah, and in another way, it was uh, it was the saviour of interstate rugby league. Yeah, I mean, we used to get flogged um, year in year out. Uh, there was the hope of uh, of many Queenslanders that um, when we played New South Wales, um, we were going to do a little bit better than last year. We kind of knew that we weren't going to beat them. A lot of the staff that they had in a, in a blue jersey were former Queensland players that had uh, headed south to uh, to get much more money than they could in uh, uh, in in Queensland and and also um, play the footy um, at a standard which was a lot higher than it, uh, than it was in, in Brisbane. So when uh, Origin came along and, and, you know, we we openly met, we got the idea of State of Origin from Victoria. It came from there and um, all of a sudden, you know, we'd been talking about give us our players back and, and we'll go okay. And when we got that uh, that opportunity and had the chance to, uh, to play in that very first game in, uh, in 1980, uh, the thrill that was on the faces of everybody uh, that was playing the game and also uh, uh, a spectator for the game um, was at a level that uh, that sort of guaranteed that uh, it, it would never be questioned again. Uh, it was here to stay. And we had um, rugby league rise to a, a whole new level uh, once we started playing that game. And it became, uh, you know, the catalyst. It, it became the most important feature for rugby league and uh, something that um, I 
often get asked about it, you know, it must have been uh, fantastic. And I said, well, mate, I was privileged. Um, I really was privileged to, uh, to play in the game. It was, uh, it was an honour uh, to play alongside a, a bunch of blokes. And it got through to the States. And I'm, I'm sure Sam, you probably remember all too well uh, that Queensland had uh, uh, pretty much the same team for the first five years. After the very first campaign, um, we kind of changed our team the, uh, the next year when a lot of the older blokes were, were dropping out. And when uh, Senator Ron McAuliffe was asked by a, a journalist who was most responsible for Queensland's success in, uh, in rugby league because you've been winning five years in a row, the first five years of origin footy with a bunch of young blokes, 80, 81, 82, 83 and 84. Um, and he stood there and as a, as a former, typical former senator, um, uh, I was m- uh, very nervous standing alongside him. He said, who is most responsible? Give me a second or so to think about this. And he said, actually, I don't need that long. I know the answer. It's the Lord, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and one of the journalists turned around and said, oh, Senator's been on the port now. Have a listen to this. Jesus Christ is playing for Queensland. He said, I didn't actually say that, but what I meant was um, we've got a whole team here. Colin Scott, Kerry Boaster, Gene Miles, Mel Meninga, Chris Close, Wally Lewis, Mark Murray, Paul Borden, Wally Fullerton-Smith, Brian Niebling, Greg Dowling, Greg Kanesky and Dave Brown. All of those blokes are within 18 months, two weeks and two days of each other. All those blokes by the time that they played their very, very first State of Origin game have played alongside or against each other at least five or six times at junior level. That's gone up to around about uh, 20 or 30 times at senior level and at Origin or representative football that's gone up to at least uh, 50 or 60 times. So I think the big bloke upstairs has been pretty good to us. Wouldn't you say that's smart, Alex? And you see all the journalists racing out to get the story. You know, they wanted to be first to... Uh, uh, to get the McCallum's line out. And I can remember looking at him after the press conference and I said, yeah, you're a typical former Labor federal senator. You've done that pretty well, Ron. And he said, well, what are you talking about? And uh, I said, well, you know, you threw that line about uh, all of those guys, um, you know, we're all born at the same time. He said, oh, I've got no idea whether that's right or not. He said, but I got rid of those journalists pretty quick. I got rid of them. And uh, I looked at him. Um, he wasn't a bloke that uh, made a fool of himself. He was actually a couple of days out um, and most of those blokes were born in 1959. There were a couple that were born in 60, but uh, it was just uh, an opportunity, I think, for, uh, for Ron to show his uh, parliamentary skills uh, and uh, what was required when he was dealing with the journalists that he didn't have a lot of time for. No, he did not. I shared a couple of beers with him. Uh, I always remember, Wally, at Lang Park, I was there one night. You'll remember this, the front row, I'll never forget it, Artie Beetson, and Craig Young was the uh, in the New South Wales pack. And there was a, yeah. the, the first scrum went down and I've never seen violence of that ilk in my life. I couldn't believe it was a sporting field. <laughs> and then I remembered seeing Les Boyd. Remember Les Boyd? Yeah. He came running yeah. across, he just jumped into the pack with his boots. I've never seen mayhem and a melee like it in my life. And the, the ref just walked away, just let it go for about five minutes. And I saw Craig yeah. Young come off. He had blood streaming from his face. I think Artie might let one go in the pack early. It was just unbelievable. That was my first, that was my foray into rugby league uh, at state of origin level. Yeah, I can, I can still remember saying to a couple of my mates after that, they said, what was that all in brawl like? And I said, well, the best thing to do in times like that is to plant yourself alongside somebody who you know can fight. Um, <laughs> if they can look after you and get rid of some of the blokes around you, you're a fair chance of, uh, of going on with it. But, but Arthur, uh, in his early days, there weren't a lot of people that 
that were aware of the fact that he actually went into boxing. He was quite a talented boxer. Um, used to go away and fight and do it. Uh, uh, started as an amateur level and then uh, got involved in uh, part-time professional. But he uh, he really could hold the Dukes up uh, fairly well. Um, but Les Boyd, he was one of the blokes that um, oh, he's the Queensland Les. guys used to say, um, we're probably better off staying away from Les because he's not going to fight by the rules. Uh, we don't ever expect him to fight by the rules. But when he does, um, he's going to make a mess of... Uh, or whoever he possibly can. Um, so it was, a, it was a pretty good indication. Um, um, you know, a lot of the more experienced players used to say to us, uh, just pick out somebody you know who can't fight. <laughs> Do your best with them. That's the best chance you've got. Now, Wally, we're, uh, we're doing this podcast from the uh, Prince of Wales Hotel in St Kilda, uh, a wonderful hotel owned by the Ryan family. And um, uh, they have a manager here who's a Frenchman called Laurent. And we were having a coffee before he came up here and he said, oh, you've got Wally Lewis today. Ask him about the uh, stand-up he had with Benny Elias one day. Uh, he said they <laughs> threw punches at each other and didn't miss one for 10 minutes. <laughs> Yeah, there were a few of those. I had a couple of run-ins with uh, with Benny Elias. Actually, there were a couple that weren't uh, quite fair and honest. But um, <laughs> on the on the footy field, uh, anything that uh, that that went by was uh, was deemed as as being legal. The one with Ben that I'm sure that he was talking about, it was at uh, Lang Park or Suncorp Stadium uh, in Brisbane, and uh, uh, there were a couple of cheap shots thrown. Um, and the one that I got onto Benny uh, right at the end uh, was the one where um, I basically uh, thought I'm doing it a bit tough here. My fitness is at uh, is it at a supreme <laughs> level and gave the indication that the fight was all over. He dropped his dupes and uh, as soon as I saw that, I planted one straight on his nose. And, <laughs> um, and, uh, and it all oh. kind of started again from there. But um, uh, he was he was a wonderful player. I used to hate playing against him because he was so skillful, so talented. But uh, in the fight department, I think Ben was the first one to admit that, uh, that he wasn't good with the dupes at all. What about the Gaia boys? How were they? Yeah, the guy, uh, they were fantastic. Uh, the, the one that everybody, every sports function I go to, everybody asks me about um, Mark Guy. What about that moment that, uh, that, that you and him uh, were there at the Sydney Football Stadium? Uh, you were up there, you were pushing him, you were, you were, you know, uh, challenging him to, uh, to go on, throw a punch. Um, you know, what did you say to him? And I said, well, I only said three words to him. And if you have a look at the video replay of it, um, you'll see that that is uh, actual fact. I said three words were said and you and Dog were the first and third word, no, uh, no guessing what the third <laughs> word was. Um, I just kept calling him a you-something dog. Um, and it was his first game. Um, um, he was a relative um, novice when it came to, uh, to state of origin football. And, and I openly admitted after the game that I was, I was trying to get him set off because he had a bit of a reputation for uh, being involved in uh, some illegal play at, uh, at every opportunity. And um, he, he pretty much was treated quite poorly, I thought, um, after that. Uh, I, I hope that he got some uh, some great suspension for that game in which he uh, uh, he and I uh, faced off. Um, that wasn't the case, but um, a little bit later on, he, he really struggled with his... Um, uh, with his future. And I felt quite sorry for the bloke, actually. I, uh, I, since that time, had uh, uh, some good opportunities to, to speak to him and uh, he's got his life back in order. He's working on radio, doing a very similar job uh, to you at the moment um, and he's turned into 10 times as good a bloke and uh, it's been wonderful to see the way that he's progressed through life and uh, his, uh, his family life has been, um, you know, uh, very happy and his ability to be able to sort of settle down after the most disappointing period of his life has been quite impressive. 
Well, the, uh, about 100 yards from where we are now uh, lives uh, Ron Barassi, who, who would you know? Who you'd know very well, of course. Um, and yep. I don't know what his answer to this question would be, but when you was about, I think, a 20-year-old, 21-year-old, played your first State of Origin game, did you think, well, maybe in 10 years' time I'm going to have played 31 games and I've got to, I, I will have been captain of Queensland 30 of those occasions? Um, at the age of 20, what were your expectations of yourself? Oh, well, I, I knew I, I had, um, you know, I, I, I answered the question one day and a bloke said, oh, you're a lair, you're a big lair. And I said, well, um, what I'm being honest, if I, I, I obviously had a little bit of talent, skill there, otherwise I wouldn't have got picked in the team. But what I had to challenge myself to prove was that, uh, that I had some common sense um, and the ability to... Uh, um, uh, to be consistent and in uh, when you're playing against the the best players in the game I think you know displaying some sort of consistency um, has uh, has got to be your uh, the biggest challenge of all um, I love the game uh, felt that uh, that that I owed the game rather than it owed me uh, and I, I knew that I had to, to go on and uh, and prove to myself uh, more so than anybody else that uh, that I deserve to stay there and uh, my dad always used to say to me that uh, you're only as good as your last game um, it's a challenge that's uh, that, that's coming up so uh, you know, you, you you produce it in the best possible way, each and every performance. Uh, you, I think it was 86, you were the captain of the Kangaroo Tour. I guess yep. the Kangaroo Tour is the one thing all players aspire to. And uh, and you were so dominant for such a long time, Australia, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. So dominant, and yet you're... Where do you think it stands, the Australian, the uh, Kangaroo Tour? in the pecking order is it I know it's a wonderful thing to say you know I'm an Australian I've played for Australia but in yeah. essence it's not the real deal is it I mean to say playing England that's about it yeah um, the, the kangaroo tour itself was probably the uh, uh, the greatest challenge for uh, for every player you love to go on it uh, it was uh, three and a bit months uh, three and a half months uh, overseas uh, based in England um, we'd always uh, play a game uh, on the way over uh, usually in in Perth uh, and then uh, base ourselves in England for uh, for the next uh, two and a half months uh, playing against all of the club sides uh, and uh, have that uh, sort of interrupted along the way by three test matches against Great Britain which um, a lot of rugby league a lot of the rugby league public regard that as being uh, the greatest challenge of all. Um, they were magnificent tours, ones that um, you had just as much fun off the field as you did on the field. Um, and having heard some of the other uh, stories from uh, from previous tours, every footy player wanted to, wanted to go. Um, uh, when I uh, got the chance to do it in '82. Um, uh, the coach told me that I've obviously packed a, a little bit of arrogance in my suitcase as, uh, as well as uh, uh, some extra clothing. Uh, I was the vice captain of the uh, the tour, but I actually got dropped uh, for the first test. Uh, and Frank Stan, the coach, uh, said to me, uh, mate, you're in a position now where you're uh, you're not producing uh, too much on the field, um, but you're producing uh, plenty of uh, plenty of layer off the field. Um, I got, uh, as I say, dropped for that one. I got recalled to the uh, to the to the test team and put on the reserves bench for game two um, and game three, and um, got the, the chance to be recalled to the team uh, for the first game in France in uh, 
for that test match, but um, dislocated the shoulder uh, and came home a very unhappy man. Um, I knew that I'd mucked up. I knew that I'd, um, you know, tried to uh, play that uh, that old line that I was uh, talking about. Don't let the good tour interfere with a good time. Um, and uh, when I went back in 1986 uh, as the captain of the team, I only had one thing in my mind, and that was not mucking up. Don't uh, don't make a fool of yourself. Um, don't uh, spoil the, the, the greatest moment of your life. Um, being in charge of the uh, of the team, go out and uh, improve uh, each and every day. Have fun at night. Um, the, uh, the the tourists. We we made sure that we we did have a good time at night. Um, but uh, every time we had the opportunity to prove to ourselves that we were over there for uh, uh, for a single attention, well, uh, that was it. And uh, we had an extremely successful tour. Um, uh, one that uh, probably most of us regard as uh, the most pleasing moment of our lives. You say that though, but I bet in 1977 when you went away with the Queensland schoolboy team to Britain, Europe and Japan and came home undefeated, at that time you would have thought this is the best tour of your time. I guess it was your first one. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, the Australian Schoolboys uh, 77, it was fantastic. It, it was. Um, on that one, I think well, we, uh, again, we, we learned just as much about life as we did about foot, uh, about footy. At the we, um, we, you know, were 17-year-old kids um, and had the chance to uh, to play it. It was, a, it was a different code. I was playing rugby rugby union while I was at high school and then the rugby league uh, for my club sides on, on the weekend, but um, I got to play with a couple of blokes uh, in that tour uh, that were the most gifted footballers I've ever seen in my life uh, and they were the Ella brothers Mark Glenn and Gary Ella three of them in the uh, in the one team um, and to uh, to play outside Mark who later became a Wallabies captain um, and uh, set records uh, all over the place um, I got to, to try and um, enjoy learning some of the skills of the game that uh, that uh, that uh, that he was uh, putting on display every time he went onto the field whether that be training or playing and uh, I kind of learnt a fair bit about it. Um, the one thing that we had from our coach, uh, Jeff Mould, um, who was from the Randwick Rugby Club in Sydney, was that uh, there was one, role, one rule, don't kick the ball. Uh, and we had a record on that too. I mean, if there was one thing I didn't like all that much about Rugby Union, it was they used to kick the damn ball all the time. Uh, just, just boot it uh, instead of running the ball and being exciting and open and attacking. Um, they, they, they'd kick it. But he had one rule, if you kick the ball, uh, without a fair reason, you won't play the next couple of games. Uh, so we we actually played. I think it was uh, 19 games on tour. We kicked the ball 17 times in those 19 games, which was unheard of. Uh, usually, you uh, you kick the ball you know uh, more times than that in a single game. Um, so it was the thrill of learning how to play running rugby uh, with some of the most gifted uh, players that uh, that I've ever seen in my life. Um, and uh, it was it was a fantastic opportunity to. Uh, to the tour um, all around the world Japan, France, England, Ireland Wales, Scotland and Holland uh, and it was um, a fantastic learning opportunity I think and um, I really agree with a lot of the, the players whenever we get together now, they were the most uh, enjoyable bunch of blokes that I've ever been on a, on a trip overseas with uh, or anywhere and um, we still get together quite regularly uh, to talk about the good times that, uh, that were had and, uh, and the things that we learnt uh, as 17 year old kids well, a couple of smart initiatives the uh, Rugby League adopted too. The six-tackle rule was a smart one. I think that was to stop the yep. dominance of St George at its time when it won ten premierships in a row. But six-tackle rule certainly smartened the game up. 
Yeah, it certainly did. You're, you're dead right there, mate. It was, um, you know, in the early days, you could uh, have as many tackles. Uh, it was unlimited tackles. Um, and for some strange reason, the the, uh, the Brisbane Rugby League and Queensland Rugby League brought back the unlimited tackles uh, into play. Um, and that was at a, uh, at a time about 1983, 84, mm-hmm. and they just wanted to see how it would go. Uh, they tested it from the pre-season competition. They said, if we don't like it, well, then we won't go ahead. Uh, we actually doubt that we will play the, the full season with it, but we just want to see um, whether it would fit into the current day game. Um, it turned about to be as boring as it put uh, many, many people to sleep at the grandstands and they'd had a gut full of it uh, after 10 minutes, let alone by the end of uh, 80 minutes of play. Uh, so the decision was made to, to get rid of it instantly. It was uh, a ridiculous uh, decision to uh, to bring it in just to be tested. And, uh, you know, I think... Uh, the, indi- the greatest indication of how boring it was was the fans that uh, preferred to stay at home. Uh, they didn't even watch it on TV. They said it's uh, it's not worth uh, looking at. It's uh, it's a it's a it's a trip uh, down memory lane that uh, is not being enjoyed by anybody. You're on Sport and Life with the compliments of Mitchell and Wines, and we hope you enjoy a print occasionally, Sam. Well, I know you do, but I hope people out there do and too. And I'll tell you what, our guest is uh, very partial to a bit of libation too, a little tickler. <laughs> Wally Lewis. Hey, Wally, the, uh, the, after your career, uh, uh, it seemed to be a seamless move into the television. You're very good at that, and... Um, uh, with, I, I don't know what you were like in your first year or two of, of broadcasting, but you're certainly the ants pants these days. Um, mate, it's, there was a little bit of learning there, <laughs> I've got to admit. Um, it, uh, it did take a little while, uh, but the, the great thing was that I had uh, a very good uh, working relationship with uh, quite a few of the uh, of the journos at the time, um, David uh uh, David Fordham, God rest his soul, uh, was a was a very yeah. close mate of uh, of mine through our uh, um, association, um, working from player to the media, and Fordo sort of taught me a lot about it. Paddy Welsh uh, was another, um, so it was uh, it was something that I always had a definite interest in. Um, uh, that was going to come at uh, at a later time, um, and that started at around about eighty eight um, or so, where um, I began working for Channel 10, who were the television broadcasters for, uh, for Rugby League uh, at that stage uh, when the, the Broncos uh, came into play. So it was it was quite quite interesting. Um, uh, I had to deal with a, a lot of the journos early and, and probably, um, you know, under my, my own admission, I, I was a bit of, a, of, of an arrogant bastard um, and didn't want to answer a lot of the questions that were uh, put to me. Uh, found that uh, that they were unusual, but um, you know the uh, the obvious intention to uh, uh, to have a bit of common sense um, and just answer the questions, considering they were only asked by blokes that were doing their job. Uh, made me work wake up uh, pretty quick. Uh, I stayed with uh, ten for uh, for a few years and then switched to seven. And then uh, at a later time, uh, I, I realised that. Um, I had to go to the to the channel that had the uh, the, the rugby league that were promoting rugby league, uh, displaying it uh, all the time, and uh, and that was Channel Nine. I went there, and um, I've had uh, over 22, 23 years of uh, of good time uh, there, enjoying everything about it. And um, I often say, um, when when you get paid 
to go and talk about the game you love, you realise just how lucky you've become in life. Indeed, so uh, well. And to uh, to be able to, to go there and watch a game, get paid to uh, uh, <laughs> to do it, uh, and go home. You, if you're not a happy man, well, you're the hardest bloke to please in town. So it's uh, it's a fantastic opportunity, and um, you know I just feature I uh, believe myself that, that the opportunity to do that, you know, just indicates uh, how lucky I've been in my life. It's utopia, indeed it is. Now, on a personal level, while it hasn't all been smooth sailing, you've incurred some hardships, and the one of epilepsy, which was, you know, uh, yeah. everyone knows about it, you, you know, you had to deal with it. Uh, I don't know how bad it was in your playing days, uh, whether you, you know, you suffered badly, and when did you realise that something really had to be done when you got to a stage where, mm-hmm. you know, I need help? Yeah, mate, it, it got to the stage where I I used to go on, whenever I was reading the news at night, I was petrified I was going to have a seizure. Um, was it going to be tonight? And I used to I'd go on a bit of a trudge back and forth um, just before I'd, uh, I'd go on air at 6 o'clock, thinking, oh, am I going to have it tonight? Is, it, is this evening going to be that night where I'm going to have one? Um, and I was very lucky to do so until the time where it, uh, it came around. Uh, I was working for Channel 9, and uh, as I went to to read the uh, the sports, uh, I could feel uh, a seizure coming on, and, um, and I'm not trying to be humorous here, but to, to describe you, uh, when you know you're about to have one, it's kind of like the, the beginning of an orgasm, although you, you don't go down Pleasure Street after it. You you feel the tingles going through your body, and um, you start to think, oh, oh no, I'm like... Uh, am I going to have one? And you, it's a, a very easy question to uh, to answer right from uh, the start. You, it just takes over your body. Um, I had one on air. I urinated in my pants while I was sitting there on television. Um, so it was easily the most embarrassing uh, night of my life. I uh, I think I I explained it uh, with the world's biggest lie, saying uh, that I just wasn't feeling good or I had the flu or something that night. I went back uh, a week later. Um, and probably felt even more pressure and uh, as soon as I went back on bang had another one um, I asked a, a close personal uh, a family friend I'm sorry the the best person who should I go and see about epilepsy I've been hiding it for, for decades you know I want to get over this um, I'm so embarrassed but um, it's not the embarrassment that's the, the major uh, drama I just want to make sure that I, I don't continue to have them I asked a, a family friend who was a doctor here in Brisbane he said mate he said, if, you're, uh, if you want to get over epilepsy, you're only going to go and see one bloke. He's in Melbourne at the Austin Hospital, Professor Sam Berkovich. He's, uh, he is the best that there is. Um, he's discovered more than half of the forms of epilepsy that exist. And um, he went on with the, uh, with the story. I quickly uh, went down to see Sam, um, uh, had uh, a, a general conversation of a few hours with him um, and felt pretty good. Uh, I knew that there was a massive pileup to, uh, to have the... Um, the surgery. Uh, it was going to take quite some time. I expected to be waiting around about nine to ten months. Um, but I got lucky on this uh, time and I got called down. They said that uh, a position had become available. Uh, when that was brought forward, I didn't know whether somebody had passed away or how the reason or what the reason was for a position becoming available. I went down to uh, uh, to the Austin Hospital, uh, was tested. Uh, basically, yep, surgery was needed where I was told you're going to need to uh, undergo the uh, the surgery where uh, a piece of the brain will be removed after we had a fair discussion on what the option was and whether I felt that that was the comfortable one. Um, the uh, uh, surgeon I was introduced to was Gavin Fabini, a wonderful man. Um, so I, I got in pretty quick and um, 
uh, went ahead with uh, with the decision. I remember waking up uh, with the world's worst headache, um, but uh, everything sort of settled down uh, pretty quick. Uh, I went home to uh, to Brisbane around about a week, ten days later, um, and I kept going back uh, to see uh, Sam all of the time. And um, the greatest thrill for me was that. Uh, uh, that was that was a long long time ago. For you know, basically, uh, when you're getting to a 14 year stage, you still have not had a single seizure. And uh, I ring up Sam every now and then to thank him for uh, for allowing me to enjoy life again. Fantastic. Uh, he was a magnificent bloke, and uh, I get the, the chance. I had a game, a uh, um, oh, sorry, not a game, a, a, a television interview or a media conference, um, which uh, I got paid um, 75 grand uh, to do that. Um, but uh, the insistence was that the money all went to uh, the Austin Hospital, the epilepsy department, and um, every opportunity that I get when I come to uh, to Melbourne now, I, I sneak out there just to say good day to the great people. Uh, some of them are still there, but uh, if I get the chance to uh, to see uh, to see Sam at any stage in my life, um, it's uh, it's something that I don't waste that chance. Well, he's, he's a man yeah. that has made me enjoy life again. Well, he puts life into a perspective, doesn't it? We realise who the real champions of the world are you know we take it for granted oh, yeah. you know it's just like the uh the wonderful volunteers the fireys and you know understated yeah. no fanfare bright lights and neon signs they go about plying their trade and we you know who by genetics or whatever kick a bag of wind around or throw a bit or throw a bag of wind around and get recognized for it this doesn't seem right does yeah. it no, no, it certainly doesn't. And uh, you know, I, um, I remember I put a book out at that uh, at the time as well. And out I, of the I made the insistence that there was a picture of one bloke who just got around and come and said good day to me. He was just one of the hospital uh, wardens that came in and there just cleaning up the rooms. But he came in to say good day every day. And I thought, well, this is an indication of a special bloke. So um, it uh, it was something that um, you know I've, I've never forgotten. There are, there are people that made my life uh, a lot more fun. Wonderful story, wonderful story. Um, Another wonderful story for you was the formation of the Broncos. And uh, in reading your background, you didn't play that much with the Broncos. Your your history really is with other clubs around the place. But um, you would have uh, been very, very closely associated with Johnny Rebo, who's well known to both Sam and myself, uh, and blokes like Porky Morgan, who were... Responsible for the formation of the club. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Reeves was uh, fantastic. Um, he used to play lock forward at the Valleys Club that I eventually went on to do, but Reeves is a couple of years uh, older than me. He went to Sydney to play, um, but uh, when the decision was made who was going to be the, uh, the chief executive, um, uh, they grabbed Reeves pretty well. Very professional bloke, knows a lot about football and uh, knows how to, uh, to deal um, with uh, the media, also uh, to deal with the, uh, the Australian Rugby League at the time as they were, which went on to the National Rugby League, and he did a wonderful job. And of course, uh, Porgy Morgan, um, he he was behind sort of uh, uh, financing the club and, and guaranteeing that the structure of the club was going to be quite professional. Um, you know, we always used to bring up you know any bloke that can you know bring up and help uh, raise money for Crockett movies like Crocodile Dundee and, and things like that. Um, you know, certainly deserve to, uh, to to have a giggle about them. But uh, he was. Uh, he was serious when he needed to be, um, but it was the formation of a club that uh, probably, um, 
needed uh, to be quite professional and needed to have the best possible operators in place. And certainly with Reeves as the CEO and Corky, uh, Barry Maranta, uh, Gary Balkan, and Steve Williams as the directors or the owners of the club, um, all of the players felt like uh, they had 100% trust in our Venture South. We knew that um, uh, they were they were at their best. Uh, all that needed to be done after that was us to be um, uh, very good uh, at our performances on the field. And, uh, and thankfully, uh, that uh, that came after five years when Alan Langer um, was uh, was the captain and Wayne Bennett uh, the coach. And uh, the Broncos snatched their uh, their first premiership. They got back-to-back wins, and uh, the club's gone on bigger and better things ever since. Wally, it's been a great pleasure having you on our uh, podcast today. And... Uh well, for those that don't know King Wally of Lang Park, um, I hope you're more aware now. Uh, eight times man of the match in uh, State of Origin, which is a wonderful career. 31 games, 30 times captain of the Queensland team. When you walk in there, wonderful uh, Wally, record. Uh, when you walk into the ground, uh, uh, Leon, you can't actually see the ground until you're in it. Because the statue of Wally there, it's the size of... Honestly, Everest. That's how big it is over there. We make normal statues here. But every time you the statue, it's like a monolith it is. But there's one thing that keeps it in perspective. There's a biggest bit of bird shit right on the top of the statue. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up. I was about to say, and it's the best target for every pigeon in Brisbane. They don't miss it any time they go through. Actually, the only good part about it is when they do, the, uh, when they drop their... Uh, uh, Yes, uh, the in, the inside out. Um, uh, whilst they're flying past, they always seem to uh, to land it right on the head, and it makes me look like a, a full head of blonde hair that doesn't actually exist. Uh, continued good uh, good fortune, Wally, and uh, we really appreciate you being with us today on uh, Sport and Life. Thanks, boys. Pleasure and a privilege. Thanks, Wally. See you, mate. Bye, bye. Thank you.